Good morning, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Um, a lot of interesting stuff coming up. All right, here's here's the deal. California, tomorrow, actually Thursday, California is going to become the first state to pay for to pay for a sex reassignment surgery. All right, so here's here's the deal. What happens is there is a there's a prisoner who's been serving a life term. Um, they were convicted back in 1980. What they ended up doing is this person, together with a partner, went out, took somebody hostage, and executed them. All right, so that's the deal. Executed them, serving a life term not eligible for parole. And while the person has been in prison, they've decided that, well, you know, their gender identity, that they were born a male, but they're really a a female. And so they want to have gender reassignment surgery. And after fighting this for a while, the state of California has finally decided, okay, we're not going to fight this stuff anymore. And so on Thursday, a 57-year-old convicted killer serving a life sentence is scheduled to be the first inmate in the United States to receive state-financed sex reassignment surgery. Um, It is going to cost the taxpayers somewhere in the neighborhood of $100,000 and maybe more to essentially allow the person who, again, born a male, but identifies as a female, to um, receive this type of surgery at taxpayer expense. Uh, The individual told a prison psychologist that, well, this would bring drastic internal completeness. All right, I want to open up the phone lines. Our numbers are 414-799-1620, That's the Accident Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Now, if somebody is incarcerated, somebody's in jail, all right, here's the deal. The whole idea is that, you know, they get medical treatment. If you're serving a murder sentence and you are diagnosed with cancer, you are going to receive treatment for that cancer, and the taxpayers are going to be paying for that. Right? This this isn't cancer, though. This is the gender reassignment that apparently some psychologists say, well, you know, this person needs this. Should the taxpayers have to pick up the tab? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. All right, what do you think? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Let's start with Mike in Brookfield. Mike, you're first. Good morning. Hey, how you doing this morning? Hi, Mike. I got to tell you, I heard that, and I about crashed my car driving down the road thinking, who in the world would be, I don't understand. I mean, the guy's lucky he's got a meal to eat every day, let alone us pay for that. I don't get it. I don't get it. Well, I mean, now the argument would be, like I say, somebody's got cancer. You know, you would pay for the cancer treatment. You know, why don't you pay for the gender reidentification? Well, because the cancer treatment is something that's necessary. This is just a bunch of BS that's not necessary. I mean, you know, it's a health problem with having cancer. So obviously, yeah, you you know, he would try to take care of that issue. But this is just something that he chooses that he wants to do, and we're supposed to pay for it. Well, that's, that's the idea. Ridiculous. Well, thanks. To, right, exactly. Now, this is the first time that this is being done in the country. First time that this is being done in the country. But um, it has the potential to start this huge trend. 
Is this a waste of money, or do we need to do this to help prisoners? We continue the conversation in two minutes. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, 414-799-1620 is the number, 1113. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1115, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So delighted to have you with us. All right, on Thursday, the first, for the first time in, I, I think, history, taxpayers are going to be paying for sex reassignment surgery for an individual who's serving a life sentence for murder in the California prisons. Uh, the idea is this is going to be the wave of the future. The argument is if somebody gets sick while they're in prison, they get medical treatment. Should that extend to gender reassignment surgery? 414-799-1620 is the number. Denise in McGuanago. Denise, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hello. Hi there. How are you? I am well, thank you. What do you think? Um, I think uh, psychological problems are treated just fine the way they are, and uh, medical problems are treated the way they are. And if somebody's got a psychological problem with their gender, they just need some shrinks and medication. Would you would you transfer them from a male prison, say, to a female prison? No. Okay. We all have problems to deal with in life, and we just live life and deal with it. Obviously, they're already having problems dealing with life, or they wouldn't be in prison in the first place. Right, and this, and actually, it's interesting because the the surviving family, the, the son of the person that was executed, who apparently you know begged for his life, he's been fighting this all along. He said, "Hey, I'm a I'm a resident of California. It is driving me absolutely crazy that I would have to have my taxpayers, you know, dollar my taxes used to help pay for this person who executed." my father to help pay for them have gender reassignment surgery you know seriously where do you draw the line oh it should have been drawn a long time <laughs> yeah. ago as far as i'm concerned the congregation says amen thanks for the call 414-799-1620-800-877-1620 that's the acunet mortgage toll free talk line mike in waukesha mike you're on 620 wtmj good morning good morning what do you think uh, there seems to be a growing consensus that this gender dysphoria is a mental illness, and statistics have shown that many people, after they have the gender reassignment surgery, are still just as sick. Their suicide rate is high. They're never happy. The guy needs therapy. They don't need to spend money on okay. changing his gender. They so, need to spend money on a psychologist. Right. So, so what you would do is you would allow them to continue to see the prison psychologists or whatever, you know, get the mental health treatment. But as far as actually spending $100,000 for the hormone therapy or whatever else you need to do, you don't think the taxpayer should pick up the tab? Nope. I don't think we should pick it up there. I don't think we should be picking it up for this Manning guy that's in the military. I don't think we should be picking it up for anybody. Um, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Mickey in West Bend. Mickey, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. What do you think? I think it's absolutely ridiculous. Even the thought of paying for something like that—that that is, uh, that's. I mean, it's like, see a psychiatrist. Uh, sure, maybe, but it's just, um, it's foolish to even have the conversation or thought of uh, taxpayers having to pay for. Something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not it's, natural. It's, not, it's just ridiculous. Well, see, and I, I see. I mean, I, I agree. I mean, look, I understand 
you know, you get diagnosed with cancer. Yes, I, I don't have any issues in receiving that sort of medical treatment. But, you know, when you have something like this, which is a psychological issue, I'm with you entirely. If you want to give somebody, you know, psychological counseling or whatever, that that's fine. But for the taxpayers, at some point in time, shouldn't the taxpayers have the right to say, you know, enough is enough. We don't have to pay for everything that comes down the pike. Absolutely, especially right. something like this. That's that's uh, somewhat of a choice whether the, the individual realizes it or not. Um, psychological help is fine, but th- well, that's ridiculous well, to ask us. I mean, th- thanks for, I mean, look, I think that there are... The, I think that even in the context of a prison, there are things that you can probably do to help try to, I, I don't know, to try to accommodate some of, of these issues that the individual is obviously facing. And I, I understand that this is a real issue. It's a real mental health issue. You've got people who do deal with this, and I understand that this is something that is legitimate. But at the same time, is this something that is mandatory as opposed to really kind of an elective type of thing? And if it's an elective type of thing, do the taxpayers really need to be picking up the tab? Bob in Waukesha. Bob, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hello again, Jeff. Hi, Bob. Hey, I, I absolutely think this is lunacy. Uh, and I, I, I object to any tax dollars going toward this. There's so many decent things that tax dollars could go toward. And also recently, didn't Chelsea... Manning and Leavenworth wasn't that gender reassignment approved? Yes, I mean, so this is this is the right. This is the I, I'm not sure off the top of my head, but this is the I mean, this is clearly the wave of the future that you know you're you're going to be moving in this direction. So I mean, you're starting to see this type of thing. I guess you know to me th- there is a difference between uh, again, sort of what I think. You know, you can describe it as elective. Now, I understand some psychologists might say that this is mandatory, but when it's a situation where you've got the taxpayers that are picking the, up the cost of this, to me, that is that is an elective sort of thing as opposed to the mandatory anything. In any event, it's going to happen. California ended up fighting this for a while. Now they've just given up fighting it. So this perhaps sets a precedent. So this could very well be coming to a prison somewhere near you. Stick around. 1121, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 11:23. Jeff Wagner, 6:20 WTMJ. From backs to the wall to the divisional round of the NFL playoffs, the Packers have followed quite the path this season. Who deserves the lion's share of the credit, the quarterback or the coach? Greg Matzik takes a look tonight on Sports Central starting at 6.07. Well, I think they both deserve a lot of credit. I mean, I think, although I, I will repeat what I said yesterday, Mike McCarthy is one lucky bunny in that that fourth and one <laughs> that, you know, where, where you go for it on fourth and one, the ball on your own 43-yard line when you're ahead by eight points early in the third quarter, he's darn lucky that after the Giants stopped the Packers, scored in two plays, He's darn lucky that Aaron Rodgers came back and led the Packers on a touchdown drive because that's that, to me, was absolutely the turning point of the game. And if the Giants had gone on to win the game, you know that the conversation would be, let's ride Mike McCarthy out of town on, on a rail. That's So, like I say, he's one extremely lucky bunny that uh, – that 
the Aaron Rodgers bailed him out. But actually, I, I always respected McCarthy. I think early in the year when people were calling for a scalp and all, he came out and said, you know, by any objective measure, I'm a pretty successful NFL head coach. And I think he's, uh, I, he's, he's absolutely right. And I think it's going to be a great game. I, I don't, I mean, obviously, the injuries that the Packers have are something that, you know, has to give you pause. But you know, as long as you've got Aaron Rodgers that is playing like Aaron Rodgers is playing, that the Packers certainly have certainly have a puncher's chance. Okay. We talked about this a couple months ago when when it happened. There nowadays one of the things that police officers need to realize is the fact that everything they do is number one going to be scrutinized, and number two, it's probably, if they're doing it out in public, they are probably going to be filmed doing this. And so these things are going to be out there for all to see. You might remember this story. It it came out of a, a suburb of Dallas about 19 months ago. What happened was there were these calls that were made to the police that there was a problem at this pool. There's this pool party that was out of control. So what happened is you have a number of police officers who end up showing up. What happens is as soon as the cops arrive, people start to run. And then the police officers start to, you know, end up, you know, chasing people as folks are running. There is a video of one of these police officers who has subsequently left the department. Um, he He's white. And the video, maybe you saw it, shows him grabbing one of the people who is running from him, um, a teenager, grabs her and puts her on on the ground. Um, she then struggles with the officer, fights him. You know, she's screaming at him. He puts his knees on her back and neck as she was lying face down on on the ground. You know, she cries out in, in pain. So you, you've got this thing. This was captured in a video. Maybe you remember seeing it at the time. Now, Reasonable people, I guess, can disagree about whether or not this was excessive violence. The fact that this was a teenage girl got a number of uh, got a lot of attention. Then you also couple it with the fact that this was a white police officer and a black teenager. Then you've got the racial element that comes in. So it, it is a controversy. We talked about it at the time. Now, now the other shoe has fallen. The former police officer who was captured on this video tackling and pinning the 15-year-old girl is now facing a civil lawsuit accusing him of using excessive and unnecessary force. Now, the girl was not injured. I mean, this is not a situation where somebody is, you know, put in in the hospital. Um, there's not a situation where somebody has, you know, extensive and permanent sort of, of damages. Um That's not the case here. It is a situation where you can argue, I guess, and reasonable people might disagree, as to whether or not the force that was used is excessive. But that's the deal. It's not somebody who, again, is going to be in a wheelchair. It's not somebody who's going to be um, who was seriously injured as a result of this. Well, um, the teenager, her name is Dejeria Becton, and her legal guardian, have now filed a lawsuit over this incident. Um, They are accusing the police officer and the city and its police department of misconduct, and they are filing a lawsuit. Okay, fine, that's not necessarily anything that's a surprise. What I think might have attracted some people's attention is in the lawsuit, they are asking for $1.5 
five million dollars. Five million dollars. Um, the attorney apparently said, well, you know, we, we didn't really want to file a lawsuit. Um, you know, we, we had proposed an agreement that required the city to pay the teenager and her family two and a half million dollars to avoid the litigation. But the city, can you imagine if they said no to paying two and a half million dollars? And so now we're going to have to sue and ask for five million. Again, if you remember the video of this particular thing, maybe you want to go back and maybe you would say, hey, okay. Maybe the police officer should have been a little bit more restrained in trying to control the person who was fleeing from police. But really, I mean, you want to talk about trying to win the legal lottery. This is another one of these classic examples of it. And again, I find it just amazing that you have the kid who says, well, you know, we, we would have settled this if they would have paid us two and a half million. We were forced into filing the lawsuit because they said no to two and a half million. So now give us five million. This, again, another one of those examples of people who go out and try to win what we call the legal lottery. Be interesting to see how it plays out. It's 1134. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. You learn something new every day. My, my, my new term for the day was intersectionality. Now, I, I confess... I did not know what intersectionality was until I was looking at this story about how, how how there is now this controversy within the left. There's this what what is being billed as the the women's march that is timed to coincide with Donald Trump's inauguration, and the idea is that you're going to have thousands of, of women. Originally, it was going to be they were throwing around. You know, tens of thousands, who knows, but it's going to be thousands of women's women who are expected to descend on the nation's capital for a march the day after Donald Trump's inauguration. The idea behind all this is, you know, women of the world or women of the United States unite and demonstrate how appalled you are that Donald Trump has been elected president because here you have the sexist, misogynistic guy, how awful this is. He's not sensitive to women's issues at all. He's whatever, whatever. So that's the idea. Now, I I understand that during the course of the campaign, there were perhaps some legitimate issues that ended up getting raised based on, you know, some of the comments that President-elect Trump made. All right, I, I understand that. But nevertheless, um, he is the president. That, that's the bottom line. And a number of women voted for him. So this idea that, oh, my goodness, you know, just women all over hate Donald Trump. Well, he wouldn't be the president if that, in fact, you know, were the case. So anyhow, there's this big march that's being organized. Okay, people are going to come. We're going to say, you know, sisters of the United States unite. We're going to show how terrible Trump is. Well, here's the the problem with this. Apparently, some of the white women who were intending to show up at this march are essentially being told, well, it's not that you're not welcome, but what you need to do is you need to, right, if you're going to show up, you need to essentially take a a back seat. Um, uh, For example, a number of the African-American activists are out there arguing um, you know, that their white allies, this would be white women, the white allies need to listen more and talk less because, you know, this march, it's really about female issues, but it's going to concentrate on the issues, not issues that are important to white women, um, but rather, you know, issues that are important to minority women who have different sort of priorities. And, and this whole idea, that's what's known as 
intersectionality um, that asks white women to acknowledge that they have had it easier because they're white women as opposed to being black women. And, you know, the idea of this intersectionality suggests that, hey, you know, if if you're a white woman, you know, you haven't had, you know, the issues, you haven't had to face the struggles that black women have. So right now for marches like this and moving forward with the feminist movement, what we want you to do is we want you to kind of get on board and recognize that we want you to be supporting and contrasting and focusing on the issues that are important to those of us who are, you know, members of the minority community because we've had it a lot tougher than you have. A story in, of all places, the New York Times yesterday. Many thousands of women are expected to converge on the nation's capital for the Women's March on Washington the day after Donald Trump's inauguration. Jennifer Willis no longer plans to be one of them. Ms. Willis, a 50-year-old wedding minister from South Carolina, had looked forward to taking her daughters to the march. Then she read a post on the Facebook page for the march that made her feel unwelcome because she is white. Um, again, the post, written by a black activist from Brooklyn who is a March volunteer, advised the white allies to listen more and talk less. It also chided those who it said were only now waking up to racism because of the election. You don't get to just join now because you're scared. I was born scared, stung by the tone. Ms. Willis canceled the trip. This is a women's march, she said. We're supposed to be about allies and equal pay, marriage and adoption. Why is it now about white women don't understand black women? Because, again, we're all into identity politics nowadays, particularly on the left. And the idea is, all right, everybody has different sort of issues, and you have to buy our agenda, and your agenda doesn't count. So I don't know how this is all going to play out. But, again, intersectionality, that's the term that you're hearing a lot about now, and I think a lot of people just shrug their shoulders and go, what? All right, coming up in less than three minutes, are we discriminating against the long-term unemployed? Stick around. 1139, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1142, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Packers might be in Dallas for the divisional round of the playoffs, but that doesn't mean your kitchen can't smell like Lambeau Field with WTMJ's Run the Table tailgate. Be listening all week for your chance at free food at your Packers tailgate so you can run the table at your party on us. One lucky listener will even get their food delivered by Gene Miller before the game. Listen all week for your chance to win. It's WTMJ's Run the Table tailgate, courtesy of Bunzel's Old Fashioned Meat Market and Catering and sponsored by transitions. It is very, very cool. All right. One of the things that actually we have talked about off and on for, gosh, the better part of uh, seven or eight years now has been the struggle people have had trying to find jobs. You know, for the longest time, you had a huge problem with unemployment in this country and in this state. And you had situations where you had people who, in general, through no fault of their own, had worked at positions, worked at jobs for a long period of time and, and lost them and were unable were unable to replace them. Now, some of that was kind of voluntary. And as we've discussed that before, there were some people who just simply made the decision that, hey, I, I'm not going to aggressively look for a job until – I find until my unemployment comp runs out and then I'll be, I'll be forced to do it. So there is a certain percentage of that, but I think in general that was a relatively small percentage. There's another group of people who particularly I think older 
folks, and by older I mean people in their 40s and 50s, who had had you know, good-paying jobs, who lost them in the recession. And these jobs just disappeared, and they were trying to replace the job they had and the salary they had, and unfortunately, they were hit extremely hard. So those jobs were gone, and they were frustrated, and they were reluctant to take a job that, I'm not going to say beneath them, but a job you know, at a much lower pay grade or, or whatever. And so there was that frustration. So they were unemployed because they continued you know, looking for a job that was similar to the job they had and then ultimately got frustrated and you know, weren't able to replace it. All right, the economy has picked up, and there's lots of people who can argue about why that is. But um, the unemployment rate, um, actually, nationwide, the unemployment rate has dropped from, what, 8 to, or 9% to, to 4.7%. The unemployment rate is now coming down to where it historically has been. Now, the unemployment rate is slightly misleading in that it doesn't include people who have dropped out of the job market. So it doesn't include people who have just decided, I've been looking for a while, I'm frustrated, I can't find anything. The unemployment rate only involves people who are actually actively looking for work. And, you know, they, they estimate that, you know, even with a 4.7% unemployment rate, they estimate that there's about 25% of Americans who are out of work. And the the one particular group of people who have not really benefited from the the economic recovery tend to be people who are long-term jobless. The number of people who've been jobless, and I'm just looking at the numbers from last month, the number of people who've been jobless six months or more um, is is 1.8 million And that's down dramatically from where it was back in 2010. But the long-term jobless represent a quarter of all those unemployed. So if you're looking at, you know, who doesn't have jobs, huge numbers come from the people who've been out of work for six months or more. They're the ones that are finding, you know, having trouble finding a job. Okay, I want to open up the phone lines. Our numbers are 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. I have a why issue that I'd like to discuss with you, and maybe you find yourself in this category. Why do you think it is that the people who have been unemployed for longer periods of time are having more and more trouble finding jobs. Do you believe it's because these folks aren't seriously looking for jobs? Is it because they're being too picky at the jobs they are trying to get? Or is it a reflection of the fact that from a hiring perspective, when people are out there and they're trying to make these decisions on who they hire for jobs, you know, they're, they're looking for employment history. And if they see people who have been unemployed for six months, a year, 18 months, two years, if they see people that have this kind of gap in their resume, is it just a natural reaction that they are going to be more and more reluctant to hire? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. And frankly, if you're one of the folks that's been in this situation, somebody who's been unemployed for a long period of time, but still actively trying to look for work, I mean, what do you think the frustration is? Are you being discriminated against, not illegal discrimination, but are you being unfairly singled out by employers? Or is this one of these situations where you're making a mistake 
if you stay out of the labor force too long because you're going to have employers that are going to be reluctant to hire you. 414-799-1620-800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. See, I I understand both sides of, of this issue. At the same time, I have always believed that it is easier to find a job when you have a job and that even if the job is beneath your skill set, you don't want to go for a period of time, a long period of time being unemployed because I think I think employers tend to hold that against you. Let's start with Dave in Illinois. Dave, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, the, the problem with these unemployment numbers is that it's according to the unemployment claims that right. come in. Right. All right. In 2012, spring of 2012, my empl- unemployment insurance ran out after two and a half years. So as I was no longer available, I mean, I'm no longer eligible for unemployment insurance, they say, oh, they've got a job. So that's that much fewer people. The unemployment rate is dropping. Well, it's not dropping. The president told us that the recession was over in 2010, and here it is, 2017, and things are still getting worse mm-hmm. and worse and worse by the day. So why do you think why do you think there's more to the extent that there has been any sort of recovery? It hasn't reached to a lot of the long term unemployed. Well, with my particular situation, uh, I'm used to thirty thirty five dollars an hour right. to support a family of five. Right, and if I am reaching, well, all the painting jobs are gone. Uh, the union painting is completely gone, and everybody in their center right. are all painters now trying to get uh, extra money. But, um, oh, shoot, where was I? Well, no, uh, but I, I understand. What you're saying is that you just can't replace, I mean, the job that you were doing, you know, it's it's not, you, you, can't, re- you can't replace that income. And I, I think that, that certainly was a factor. I mean, if you look at what was going on in 2007 and 2008 and 2009 and 2010, uh, especially older middle managers, I mean, got hit really, really hard where, you know, maybe they're making 70 or 80 grand a year. Those jobs disappeared. And I think for a lot of people, they were hoping, okay, I want to find something that fits my training. And th- those jobs just hasn't been, haven't been available. Jane in Random Lake. Jane, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. What do you think? Yeah, well, my husband has been very frustrated because he has, we relocated here from New Jersey, and he was in the banking industry out in New Jersey, and now he's been looking for a job. And every time he goes to apply within his business or without, they say he has way too much experience, and therefore they will not hire him to even train him for other things. Even though he's willing to take the job, and even though my yes. guess is it might have paid less than his, you know, maybe he was mm-hmm. making before, but he, he just wants to get his foot in the door. Well, correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. What, what do you attribute that to? What do you think's going on? Well, part of it is his possibly his age. Yeah. I, 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 if you don't mind me asking, how old is your husband? 58. Yeah. I, I you know, I, I, I understand that, you know, Discrimination based on age is theoretically illegal, but good luck proving a lot of it. I, I no, I believe yeah, a lot of that exactly. stuff is going on. Jay. I mean, I think it's one of these things where they say, okay, well, and, and again, you, you, it's very difficult to prove. But if you have two candidates for the the same job, and especially if there's going to be mm-hmm. some training done, I think a lot of employers say, well, we've got somebody who's 32 versus somebody who's 58. You know, um, mm-hmm. if we take the guy who's 58, you know, he might be a great employee, but he's going to be retiring in a few years anyway. So let's go with the 32 year old. 
Right, exactly. Um, how long has he been? He brings more to the table. How long has he been unemployed? Four years. Wow, it's got to be tough. Yeah. Yep. No, thanks to call. Appreciate it. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Sean in Milwaukee. Sean, good morning. You're at six twenty WTMJ. Hey, how you doing? Real well, thank you. What do you think's going on here? Uh, well, actually, I was just saying that I hire people at my job, and I don't really care how long people take off from working. They usually have a valid excuse. It's not that they're just pure lazy. People right. tend to want to work. I agree. For Most me, people do. Most people want to work. I'm with you entirely. Yep. <laughs> what I don't like when I'm trying to hire people is seeing that they spend three, four, six months at a job, and they have about five of them in two years. Right. That's what I don't really like seeing on resumes. Uh, but I'll give anybody a chance, no matter how much time they're not working, because it's, it's usually a good reason. So, you're, from your perspective at hiring, you know, if you see a two or three year gap, you're not going to necessarily hold that against them. Although you are going to probably ask them, you know, why I've been out of work for two or three years. You, the red sure, flag, the the red flag for you is, you know, a new job every four or five months. Correct. That obviously means something's up with them. If they're taking time off, there's a good reason. As long as they're genuine about their answer. Why not give them a shot? We're all human beings doing the best we can here. Um, amen to that. Four one four. Yeah, I mean that that's true. I I do. I understand. I mean that that's the other thing. I think there's two red flags that you get a lot of times. I mean, one is that the lengthy gap because even in an industry, I mean some. I mean industries change so dramatically, you know, over a two-year period. So, I mean, I think sometimes people say, well, okay, you know, maybe you were doing a great job two years ago, but if you haven't worked for that last two years, how has the skill set changed? So that's one of them. Um, also, a job every three or four months, that that's also an indicator that, you know, maybe something's going on. Um, are you not going to stay at the job? Are you not going to be there? That's a red flag as well. But when you talk about a risk recovery and you talk about the recession, you know, one of the groups that continues to be left behind are the long-term unemployed. In many cases, the people who need the jobs the most. All right, it is 11.54. In just a couple minutes, we'll find out what's coming up on WTMJ Today. Stick around. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 11.57, Jeff Wagner, 6.20, WTMJ, Eric Bilstadt, co-host of, got to turn on your mic. Hello. Hello. Yeah, I'm Co-host of WTMJ Today. All right, interesting program today. Uh, John Jagler, our interim host, kind mm-hmm. of off doing, well, the state of the state address. I assume yeah. he's out in Madison. So we, we've, we brought in another political figure, another elected official. Right, that's right. We have Milwaukee Mayor Tom Barrett. He will be co-hosting the show with us today. How about that? I never thought I'd say that. Milwaukee Mayor Tom Barrett filling in for John Jagler on WTMJ today. Well, I, I do think probably for the last going on two decades, Tom Barrett did, probably didn't figure that he'd be occupying that, that any time in the noon to three slot on WTMJ. <laughs> so that, that, that's good. What are you going to be talking about? What's coming up on the show? You know what? I know you brought this up earlier, but this is one of the big WTMJ trending stories right now. What is going on with Joe Buck and Troy Aikman and Packers fans? I, I know the there change. is... The Change.org petition, <laughs> thousands and thousands of people signing it, right? Yeah, so we're definitely going to touch into that with all this Packers news. It's kind of fun, this this idea of uh, wanting to get someone off the broadcast. Yeah. And we do know they are doing the broadcast. Right, That's... yeah, it's not... It, it's, right, I don't think anybody <laughs> seriously thinks they're going to be bumped, right. but I think it's just a way that Packers fans have of expressing mm-hmm. right. their 
issues. I, I think, uh, and I know you disagree with me. I think Aikman's off. I think, I think, especially when it comes to covering the Packer games. I think, you know, he's a cowboy. I think it's going to be insufferable. Yeah, I, I, I fully admit I, I'm in the minority. I just, yeah, okay. yeah, we'll see. So we're going to dig into that. I'll get see what the mayor thinks about that that number A uh, broadcast I, team. I, I will tell you. I mean, I, I said this before. I, I was in a bar the other day at before the game, you know, and they show that they show Aikman and Buck. You know, but when they're doing their stand-up before the game starts, mm, yeah. it was like the movie Animal House. Everybody at the bar starts <laughs> screaming. It's like they're going to be throwing peanuts and stuff, and it's like, oh, these guys again. So, so yeah, so that's on there. We'll go live to Madison at one point. Of course, the state of the state is this afternoon, which is unprecedented. I'm sure the mayor has some thoughts on that as well. So we'll dig into that and much, much more throughout the day. Stick around. WTMJ Today is coming right up. Uh, thanks for all the calls. I am back 830 tomorrow morning. We do it all again. It's 1159. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.